Welcome back, everybody, to an all-new episode of Creative Currents. Hope together we can ride the waves of creativity and lead more fulfilling lives as artists. Today, I want to talk about a responsibility that we all have as artists. And I'm not talking about saving the world. I'm not talking about saving somebody's life with your art. Maybe actually I am talking about that. Maybe I'm talking about saving your own life with your own art or your own your own artistic practice because today I want to talk about the responsibility that every artist has to sustain one's art I sense this in a few different aspects of my artistic life the responsibility to be able to sustain my work as an artist I think I talked on a previous episode about how my life as an artist is not fundamentally only about, you know, enriching myself. We and I think any artist, you you create art and you share it with the world so that the world can take something from it, whether that's entertainment, whether that's reflection, introspection that listening to your art might cause. I think as artists we're all impacting our audience in some way. And I think the hope is that most artists want to impact their audiences in a positive way, right? I don't think there's anybody who's particularly making a making music to harm somebody or making a painting to harm somebody. They might want to bring about some change, but usually we are creating art in terms of, you know, trying to make something positive. And that impact is powerful, whether it's big or small, whether you just made somebody feel good in the moment that they were reading a chapter of your book, or you made them change how they live their life based on the picture you depicted in your painting. Whatever it is, we have that impact on our audiences. So to me, It's an incredibly helpful mindset for every artist to feel responsible for being able to sustain their work. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm sure many of you out there work a full-time job or have some job related to something other than your work as an artist. Maybe something completely unrelated to your artistic practice. But I'm willing to bet, if you're listening to this podcast at least, that a portion of your paycheck from that non-art related job goes towards your artistic practice. 
whether you're saving up for a new piece of gear, a new synthesizer, a new paintbrush. You're doing your part to sustain your work, and part of sustaining our, sustaining our work as an artist is, you know, financially sustaining our work. Whatever we have to do to serve whatever it is inside us that drives us to make art. I hear beginner audiences often, they have this really low level understanding of art and commerce. And they feel like it's not appropriate for artists to even make money from their work or that um, art should just be available to everybody for free. And I think, of course, creating free things for people to access is great, is a great power an artist can have. But just because it's free to your audience doesn't mean the work was created for free. It doesn't mean the time that that artist spent creating that art was just free. I just talked about many of you have full-time jobs. Many of you work very hard for that paycheck every week. So you can have that free time in creating something. And every artist you listen to, their time is worth something, whether they are a full-time musician, artist, and all of their income comes from their artistic practice, or whether they have a full-time job completely unrelated to their artistic practice, and they are just supplementing their artistic practice with that paycheck. The artist's time is worth something, and we as artists must find practical ways to sustain that. So for me in my artistic practice, I have always tried my hardest to create something that my audience can consume usually for free now that might just have to do with the nature of the music industry as it is um, and also my thoughts on public education i want to release music that you can listen to you can type my name into any you know streaming service find some of my music to listen to. And if you want to learn from me, you can type my name into YouTube and find a bunch of different tutorials all available to you for free. Now, if I just did this and received no, you know, financial impact from that, it would not be sustainable. I could not do it without some type of financial backing. I'm not independently wealthy. I can't just sit at home all day and make this content and not generate some type of revenue. Maybe you can. Maybe you're in a blessed position. But most artists are not, which is why we need to think about all the ways that we can sustain our craft. Not just for us. Again, I think this is about sustaining your artistic practice 
as your responsibility as an artist to take care of your audience, to serve your audience. You create something and you create something valuable in all the ways we talked about earlier, all the ways that you can impact the people that consume your art. So anytime you feel or somebody makes you feel bad about trying to thrive financially as an artist, about trying to find those ways to financially sustain your artistic practice, you should think about your responsibility to your audience. Because that person or, you know, that voice in your head that's telling you your art should be free for all. You shouldn't seek out a sponsorship. You shouldn't go apply for that grant. Um, Those voices aren't who you're trying to serve. And I think it's the nature of the world that negative voices exist. So we don't need to blame the negative voices for existing since that's just the nature of the world instead we should focus on the positive voices and we should focus on those that we serve our audience so whether you're struggling to mentally sustain your artistic practice or whether you're struggling to financially sustain your artistic practice it's important to serve both of those areas There's lots of options out there for the modern musician. Of course, my channel, my artistic practice, thrives off of sponsorships. You can all access everything I have for free because I got a little sponsored ad in the middle of a piece of content. You don't have to consume that ad. You can skip right through it. You don't have to even think about the product that's being offered in the ad. You can just benefit from the content. You can benefit from the work. And just know that the work is being sustained somehow. I think, if anything, we should look at creators who are finding unique ways to sustain their work through sponsorships. Uh, We should take some type of comfort in that. Because think of all the ways we consume music specifically. We know how little streaming revenue goes to an artist. We know the traditional ways of making music. Nobody goes out and buys a $19 CD anymore. So unless you're going to independently support a creator individually through a Patreon or a YouTube membership, if you're still consuming something from an artist, the chances are you can consume everything from that artist completely for free. So when you look at an artist and you see them in a Pepsi commercial or when you see them doing a collaboration with Nike, we shouldn't think of them as sellouts. We should take comfort in knowing that they have found some way to sustain that work. And then again, you should always reflect back on your own personal artistic practice and remember that it is also your responsibility to sustain your work. Not from a selfish perspective, no matter how much that voice in the back of your head wants to tell you that you're selfish, don't listen to it. You're an artist, you create for an audience, and that audience is looking to be served by you. So you should do it by any means necessary. 
today I've kind of combined the have you heard and the question phase of our show. Because as some of you might have heard, a very popular and long-standing music review publication, Pitchfork, uh, has undergone a a lot of changes. I believe there's been layoffs, the CEO stepped down, or the editor-in-chief, I should say, and it was announced that Pitchfork, this, you know, uh, music publication known for their music reviews, even though... Uh, They're known for, I think, being a bit divisive. They're being kind of folded into GQ, a much bigger media magazine company. And it's generated a lot of conversation about the place for music criticism and the role of music criticism in our current culture and where music criticism even exists. Now, many of you listening... I'd be surprised to know, or I'd like to know, how many of you have actually heard of Pitchfork and how many of you were avid readers of Pitchfork or at least would tune in every now and then. There's many accounts of people finding their favorite music from Pitchfork. I would say I mostly regarded them as, you know, being intentionally divisive as all criticism-type media companies tend to be. It's what garners them attention. But that being said, a great pitchfork review could break a big could break an artist. A small independent artist could get a review on pitchfork and suddenly be this huge, I guess, indie darling or or more. But it's generated some interesting conversation about music criticism. Because how do we consume music criticism these days? Or do we even? Is my question. And it does apply to us as artists because, of course, the way music exists in the cultural zeitgeist, well, we're obviously participants in that and being that a lot of us out there are the creators of the music. So I grabbed a couple of quotes from some articles and some conversations that I saw on threads this week. There's a Washington Post article, which you do need to make an account to read, but a pull quote that I saw on threads was, it's time for music writers to come together and start their own magazines, their own fanzines, their own websites. It's hard to see a future in the rubble, as in any kind of cultural criticism, imagination will be necessary. And the title of that article is, The end of Pitchfork is an ugly omen for music journalism's future. Now, many of you might have already, you know, smartly noticed that this isn't just applicable to music journalism, but everything is shifting. We talked earlier in the episode about how people consume music. The entire consumption of the media has completely changed and and revenue models have completely changed over the years. So again, I ask the question, where does music criticism sit in our culture? Where do you hear about the next band that you want to hear? Or where do you hear music that you've never heard before? Do you even read music reviews? I think probably the worst way to consume a piece of music is to read about it. But 
that being said, so this quote from the Washington Post article about music writers need to come together to start their own magazines and their own fanzines and their own websites, I think that's kind of a foolish a foolish statement because we have seen the states of independent magazines and websites. They are not sustainable. We started this episode by talking about how us our us individual musicians and artists need to sustain our practice. And if music criticism and criticism in general, journalism in general, I think is obviously important to our culture, they need to find sustainable models. And I don't think that that includes recreating the old models of old magazines and websites. I think they are on to something, though, when they reference, you know, music writers coming together to start their own independent things. And I saw another conversation on threads. This question was posed by Palm Ghosts. Palm Ghost says, So what moves the needle for up-and-coming artists these days, in your opinion? 10 or 15 years ago, a good pitchfork review could launch an artist almost overnight. Recently, TikTok has gotten some artists' major label deals, but doesn't seem to always equal an audience willing to even see them play live. Print is pretty much dead, as is radio. I know small blogs are great, but they do not convert many listeners. What moves the needle today? This is a conversation we need to pay close attention to, folks. Of course, it's going to appeal especially to the musicians in the audience, but all artists. We're talking about fundamentally, how does culture consume our work and learn of our work? We're in this big existential moment, which is why this is not just a siloed problem in journalism, but it's something that all artists should take note of too, I think. And the notion here is correct in this um, this thread by Palm's Ghost referencing TikTok that can get some artists major label deals. I think we hear those success stories all the time, but if you peel back the curtain, actually last episode we talked about gradually gaining more success over time and constantly building versus a viral moment. Well, there's so many artists getting that viral moment on TikTok and a major label operates like a big dumb institution normally operates and jumps on that moment without really seeing the future for that that artist. They just see a moment in time and it rarely converts. What moves the needle today? That's what Palm Ghost is asking. If these big institutions like journalistic institutions like Pitchfork are not doing it anymore. What's happening? And I found one of the replies to this thread. It's really, really interesting. This is a reply from Bad Boombox. They say there's no clear answer because no one knows. No one reads. In my opinion, besides good Spotify playlists, the power is back in the individual's hands for now. For example, I haven't read Pitchfork in years, but there's this random kid on TikTok whose music taste is so good and music description so vivid 
that I'll listen to any album he tells me to listen to. Same concept with scene-specific DJs, scene-specific podcasts, recorded mixes, etc. And I grabbed that reply because I think that nails it right on the head. I think that that is so spot on that it's in the hands of the individuals, much like us as artists, where we have, you know, sometimes it feels like we have more power than ever before, and sometimes it feels like less. But I do think in the way that an independent artist can operate in 2024 and beyond, we have a bit more power than we had previously, though those big corporate institutions still exist. Spotify playlists becoming the new, basically, payola of record labels and radio play. Individuals having such a great power and influence to be a tastemaker, that's hugely useful for us to know as artists. Because it means we shouldn't go try to get or even pay for that Forbes article and get published in some legacy media where nobody's going to read it and nobody's going to pay attention. Instead, we should be looking at who's making cool stuff. Not just fellow artists, but I guess in a way a tastemaker, a, a, the modern version of a journalist in this respect is an artist. We should be looking at who's actually... Who has their finger on the pulse and who are people actually listening to? The fact that an individual with a TikTok can have more influence over a large publication like Pitchfork nowadays, it, it might not have made sense five or ten years ago. You might have said, no, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but to me, that sounds like pretty much exactly where we're at today and it lines up with how the music is created and it lines up with how these current platforms operate individuals people we want to connect with other people maybe that's even a reason you're following me maybe that's why you're listening to this podcast We don't need to connect with a company. We're not looking to connect with a big institution. We're looking to connect with individuals. We're looking to get come together as communities. I think this is something hugely powerful. course it's something to think about as you prepare to release your next piece of work as an artist is how are you going to get the attention around that new work how are you going to get people's ears to hear your music their eyes on your artwork as culture changes 
the institutions change and the way we promote our work changes. And this is all important for us to keep an eye on. So for me personally, Pitchfork as an institution, I'm not going to be greatly affected by Pitchfork going away. But I am enthusiastic about what's going to fill its space. And I don't mean fill its space aesthetically. I don't mean a new website comes out with a new name, but same same skin. I mean what Bad Boombox here is talking about in this thread. The random kid on TikTok whose music taste is so good. The one way we need to catch up to this as a culture is now that one random kid on TikTok, how's he going to sustain his work? And now how you see how this all comes full circle. If we look at a random kid on TikTok and how great they are for music culture and this individual doing such a great job of covering music and making recommendations and being a tastemaker, how do they then sustain their work? I always push people to support individual folks whose work you consume regularly. But are there more creative ways? Where an individual can monetize that skill without the audience having to pay. I think it's all possible. And we should look at this from a growth mindset, from positive optimistic perspective it's easy to be too cynical about the world it's easier it's easy to call folks sellouts but when you realize when you look around and you say i don't need to pay the cable bill i don't need to pay comcast to get access to all these channels i don't need i can instead just pay x amount of dollars for this individual outlet that i really enjoy consuming that to me is a better future than being forced into a decision and being forced to support a giant publication or a giant institution. So much like how artists are becoming more and more independent and are getting more and more power progressively over time, I think the way in which we consume this media and the way we critique this media and the way that culture perceives our, our, our art and discusses our art, I think that's going to move in a similarly independent direction. And I think that that is a good thing. And all of us need to figure out a way to sustain this and not just go back to leaning on old models. Just some food for thought today. Of course, I'm always curious what you all think about these topics. YouTube members who get access to the video version of this show, you can comment on the YouTube video. There's a Q&A function on the Spotify podcast version of this show. And you can always at reply me on threads, comment on my general YouTube channel, and even send me a message on Instagram. If you do want to support the show, you can become a channel member on YouTube. There's lots of benefits to channel membership. 
and I try to provide more value in your membership perks than the actual cost of membership, if that makes sense. Free downloads, access to our Discord community. YouTube.com slash Tatro, find that join button, and you can see all the perks laid out for you there. Thank you to everybody who supports the channel and supports this show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Creative Currents.